0: This podcast is brought to you by Denton's, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of clients from more than 200 locations in over 80 countries around the world. Please note that anything discussed on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Welcome to Denton's Canada's Tax Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Hennell, a partner in the firm's tax group based in Edmonton, and I'm joined with Gergie Hegedus also a partner in our tax group in Edmonton. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a number of important tax changes coming into effect in Canada this year, and provide you with everything you need to know to avoid unintended tax consequences and to ensure compliance with new reporting requirements. Keep in mind, this podcast is being recorded prior to the upcoming March 28, 2023 federal budget, which may impact the contents of our discussion. So Gergay, let's chat about some of these changes
1: there's a number of important changes that taxpayers and their advisors should be aware of this year. Uh, firstly, there's the new anti-flipping rules for residential real estate that uh, commenced at the start of this year. There's also the underused housing tax, and the deadline to file the first return for that will be April 30th of 2023. There's some new pre- proposed mandatory disclosure rules for certain tax transactions, which will come to effect on royal assent, which it will be likely be this year. There's also some new trust reporting requirements, and uh, they also raise the amount of taxable capital at which the small business deduction is phased out uh, to $50 million. There's some new um, proposed amendments to the general anti-avoidance rules, and there's some new interest deductibility limitation rules. So why don't we start with the new anti-flipping rules for residential real estate?
0: Sounds good. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. So the government now um commencing january 1 2023 any if if you sell um residential property that's been held for less than one year um, it will be considered and treated as business income and not as capital and the consequence of that is if you're buying and selling properties within a year of holding them that uh, that sale can be treated as business income and fully taxable on that basis, whereas otherwise, in, in before this rule, if you sold that property, it would likely, um uh, but not in every case be treated as capital, um, which has a you know a, at the current time, a better tax rate. So some of the consequences of this is if you did sell a property after holding it for less than one year, uh, you might not be able to claim the the principal residence exemption um, And uh, any loss in respect to that property. Uh, would be if there was a loss would be deemed nil there are some exceptions to this rule in certain circumstances that we don't need to get into but you can you can check those out but just be mindful if you uh, own residential property or or you're buying and selling uh, residential um, real property and um, you're holding it for less than one year there is a new rule that might and likely will impact you
1: So on January first, 2022, the new Underused Housing Tax Act came into force, and this act requires certain non-Canadian owners, um, and in certain circumstances, some Canadian owners of residential property in Canada to file an annual return to report their ownership uh, and pay a 1% tax on the property's value. Now that's subject to certain ex- exceptions, but taxpayers should be aware that the uh, underused housing tax, the UHT, might apply for them. to them. And so the filing deadline uh, for the 2022 year is April 30th, 2023. So residential property owners will want to be familiar with their potential filing requirements and potential liability to pay the UHT. Um, there are significant penalties if you fail to file the underused housing tax return when it's due. So, individuals are subject to a minimum penalty of $5,000, and corporations are subject to a minimum penalty of $10,000. So, some pretty hefty fines if you don't uh, comply with the requirements to file the returns. And it's important to note that it's the registered owner of the residential property that's required to file the UHT return. So, that would include nominees and bear trustee owners. So, even if a person isn't liable to pay the UHT, they may may still need to file the UHT return. For example, a corporation that is a specified Canadian corporation is exempt from paying the UHT, but they still have to file a a UHT return. Otherwise, they might be subject to penalties. So most Canadian corporations that own property, residential property, will have to file a UHT return, even if they don't have to pay the UHT.
0: So, Gergai, even if I have no non-Canadians uh, ownership in the corporation or, or structure in question, I still might have to file an UHT return?
1: That's, that's right, yeah. And the deadline's coming, fast approaching on April 30th, 2023. So people okay. should consult uh, the legislation and their advisors to, to figure out what they have to do in order to meet those requirements.
0: Wow. Okay. What, what about this new mandatory disclosure rules? I've heard, I've heard you know chatter about this and, and what is that about?
1: Yeah, so these there there were already mandatory disclosure rules in place for certain transactions. Uh, Those rules require taxpayers and their advisors to report a transaction when it's primarily undertaken for the purpose of obtaining a uh, tax benefit, and where it meets uh, one of three hall or met. Um, two of three hallmarks. So those hallmarks were contingency fees, confidential protections and or contractual protection. So those were the former rules but under the new rules uh, only one of the three hallmarks have to be met in order for the transaction to be a reportable transaction. So a big great broadening of the rules um, and also the definition of an avoidance transaction has been expanded to include a transaction where it may be reasonably considered to be one of the main purposes of the transactions to obtain tax benefits. So it doesn't have to be the, the main the main purpose of the transaction. It has to be one of the main purposes in order to classify as an avoidance transaction. So uh, the, the these rules would definitely apply to uh, more transactions coming up. And so taxpayers should also be aware that if they're uh, considering entering into transactions where one of the main purposes is for a tax benefit, they they might have to they might have an obligation to report these transactions to the CRA. There's also proposed rules for certain kinds of transactions, and CRA is found to be abusive, and these are transactions so there's these are specific transactions like straddle loss transactions that the CRA wants to know about if you're entering into them so taxpayers should be aware that they there are reporting obligations for these specific kinds of transactions Uh, but I also note that there's there's some some new trust reporting requirements coming into place Um, can you tell us a bit about that
0: oh boy yeah these uh, it's another compliance burden that's uh, placed on the on the taxpayer here Um, so these new trust reporting rules which which um many of you may have maybe already heard of, um, are coming into place for, for trusts with, with year ends uh, December 31st, 2023. Um, so for tax years ending on or after December 31 this year. So as it currently exists, trusts generally have an obligation to file a trust tax return um, for tax year if it has taxes payable, if the trust disposes of capital property, or if it distributes income or capital to a beneficiary. With the new rules, Um, Most trusts, almost all trusts, will have to now file a tax return every year, no matter um, if there has been a taxes payable within the trust or an allocation or not. Um, There also is an additional amount of information you're gonna have to provide on your trust return. Um, So everyone from the settlor, beneficiaries, trustees, you'll have to gather this information for your trust um, or your advisor will have to help you and the information, additional information, you'll have to gather is their, you know, address, date of birth, jurisdiction of residence, um, social insurance numbers, for example, for for the trustees, as mentioned, beneficiaries, settlers, and anyone else who has, you know, the ability to exert influence over the trust, the trustees' decisions. So, uh, quite a quite a burden of information you're going to have to 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 gather and collect, and and the other. Um, Issue here with these new trust reporting rules is that it encompasses bear trust arrangements. Um, so not even your traditional family trust; it also extends to bear trusts. And what that means is is where you have legal title to a property in one name, uh, but the beneficial owner is is in is a different uh, entity person. So. Um, everyone should really think hard about their arrangements with who holds the property, what kind of, is it in a trust, is it in a bear trust and really start uh, digging in on that to be ready for the, to report this next year.
1: So it seems like a huge broadening of the the trust reporting rules. What are some of the consequences if taxpayers don't comply with these requirements?
0: Well, potentially gross negligence penalties up to 5% of the highest fair market value of all the property in the trust in the year. So quite potentially quite, um, quite a hefty penalty. Are there so, yeah. any
1: other specifics that taxpayers should know about regarding, you know, these these new rules?
0: So, as as mentioned, um, definitely get a handle on your trust relationships. Um, talk to your advisors. There are certain cases where you know, these rules will, will not apply, um, you know, timing of how long the trust is in place, the value of the trust property and the type of property. So definitely seek advice um, prior to the reporting period to to make sure you're ready.
1: Okay, that's, that's great to know. And what about the, um, the small business deduction? Are there any changes with respect to that?
0: Yeah, so Bill C 32, what it was um, called, received royal assent on December 15, 2022, and it raised the upper limit of the taxable capital employed in Canada, which small business deduction is phased out from 15 million to 50 50 million for uh, taxation years that begin on or after after April 7th. 2022. So as a result, Canadian-controlled private corporations and associated corporations with less than the combined 50 million in taxable capital will be entitled to receive the small business deduction. Where so, it's uh, increased the upper limit of which the small business deduction might be available to to uh, a lot of taxpayers.
1: So 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 presumably a lot more Canadian corporations will be entitled to the small business deduction due to this increase, right? That's correct. Yeah, okay, and there's also some proposed changes being made to the GAR legislation, and it looks like the government wants to amend the definition of tax benefits to include tax attributes, and that's not surprising, uh, given the recent developments in case law. Uh, the government also wants to provide interpretive rule to specify what is not a bona fide purpose for a transaction, and that could be helpful to give taxpayers um, maybe some information on when the GAR might apply. Uh, they want to extend a definition of a transaction to include a choice, which would be you know, obviously broadening the definition of a transaction. So it would increase the amount of situations that the GAR rules might apply to. They want to change the definition of a avoidance transaction. So it applies where one of the main purposes for undertaking transaction is to obtain tax benefit rather than requiring it to be undertaking primarily to obtain a tax benefit. Uh, which is how it's currently drafted and they want to shift the judicially established onus to taxpayers that means that taxpayers would have to demonstrate that the tax benefit was consistent with the object spirit and purpose of the act so the government uh, will likely table this legislation later on this year Uh, the government is also um introducing some new rules Uh, regarding the deductibility of interest and finance expenses. They're referred to um, colloquially as the Eiffel Rules, and the objective of these rules is to address issues from taxpayers deducting excessive interest and other financing costs, uh, mainly in the context of uh, large multinational enterprises and cross, cross-border invest, investment. So generally speaking, they want to limit the amount of net interest and finance expenses that can be deducted by a taxpayer's income by no more than a fixed earning, fixed ratio of earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization. But it's important to note that these new rules won't apply to certain excluded entities. And so for the rules to apply, Basically, CCPCs that have, together with any associated corporations, have taxable capital of less than 50 million. The rules won't apply to them. And um, groups of corporations and trusts whose aggregate net interest uh, among their Canadian members is $1 million or less, and certain standalone non resident corporations and trusts that carry on uh, all or substantially all their business in Canada. Uh, But these new rules uh, will begin on uh, to be effective on october 1st 2023 so taxpayers should be
0: aware of them thank you Gergay. wow that's uh, a lot of changes this year and i know we're uh there's a you know a budget looming so um potentially more changes to come and
1: definitely yeah we'll try and keep uh our listeners informed of any new developments as we hear of them
0: thank you Gergay, and, and thank you everyone for listening and i uh, hope you found it informative and please reach out to your uh Denton's tax advisor if you have any questions or, or uh, would like to chat further.